the end of that sequence, he's saying, ah, ah, and he's like squirting the water into the mouth. <laughs> I don't know why that cracked <laughs> me up so much, but it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Welcome to You're in a Child is an Idiot, the podcast where we look back on the movies from your childhood and decide if they were any good to begin with. 85% there. My name's Damon. I'm DJ. Hello. Hello. We're trying a new format today. Spoopy season. It is spoopy season, as people say. And sometimes yeah. you put that in a comic, and then you find the percentage of the population who don't say that, and you're like, I think there's a typo in your comic. And I'm like, no, there isn't. Thank you, though, for reading. Would that there were. <laughs> So we're doing a new format today where yes. we're going to be recording our intros, and I know what movie we're going to be reviewing, but my I don't dear know. friend DJ does not. I have no idea. So these thoughts, truly. Now, we never prepare, certainly not for this part. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. And it might result in interesting tape, and it might just sort of result in the same amount of banter <laughs> that we usually have. Given the total lack of preparation that we normally bring to the... I don't <laughs> think it's going to be much different. I honestly. mean, what are you going to do? Just start screaming when I say the name <laughs> of the movie? Just like a Price is Right contestant? Just because I withheld it from you? Well, yeah, normally, if I don't know what something is, I still don't research, because that I don't want to change You don't want to spoil it by finding out who Xenon was, this girl of the <laughs> right. 21st century. Right. Right. All right, well, what are we doing? It's This season. week, we will be watching <laughs> Little Shop of <gasps> Horrors. The no. musical from Little Shop of Horrors. 1988 no, no, no. or 89. Delightful. Rick Moranis, Steve Martin. Vincent Gardenia, friend of the show, the late Vincent Gardenia from Death Wish and Moonstruck. He's here again, ladies and gentlemen, fan favorite and not unpopular with the ladies who listen, I would imagine. Mm. He's not traditionally attractive. So have you ever seen this movie before? Is that what I'm supposed to do in this yeah, instance? Yeah, I, yeah. I'll just interview you like you're a head of state. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Me and the first lady. <laughs> yes, I have seen this. And I have actually, I think we watched it last Halloween. So I've seen it somewhat recently. Very nice. As a kid, it was, it's not like it was scary, but it was like, I think the amount of singing and puppetry was like too much for me. I was like, I don't, I don't know what's That's going what on scared you. That's what, that's yeah. what kept you up at night was, I don't want any yeah. puppets. I don't know what's going on over here. There's too much singing. That's the guy from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That's all I know about this. Mm -hmm. And watching it as an adult, I was like, this is pretty great. So I'm excited to watch this. I think if I recall correctly, there's a lot that I catch now. I wasn't taking notes then, so I'll be much better this time. That's and, what's great. I've yeah. been taking notes since I was a child, so I always take notes when I go to the theater. Just to, you know, track shots, Dutch angles, the price of popcorn as it rises throughout my <laughs> lifetime. This might be my favorite musical movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. I really enjoy this. I like... Take that, The Blues Brothers, 1980. <laughs> yeah, go fuck yourself. If you had more dismembering of Steve Martin, like I asked, <laughs> like I wrote in, that would be one thing. But you refused everything yeah. I requested, so go fuck yourselves. I enjoy it because of the puppetry. I love some doo-wop singing. Mm -hmm. 
And I love a movie with a. If I know one thing about you. <laughs> I love a movie with a woman with a speech impediment as well, which is also enjoyable. I was going to bring up Audrey One because we have a special reference from our past with Audrey One, and that is there was a restaurant here in Nashville, which well, let's not get too specific because I don't know who knows this person. There's a restaurant that we went to regularly when we were roommates. That mm-hmm. was probably my favorite place in town or one of them. And the hostess that worked there or the, she was, was she a server or I don't know. She always greeted you, but we referred to her as Audrey because she looked like this, the woman in this movie. I don't remember this woman. What are we talking what? about? We have this special thing. I just described <laughs> it as like this. And then I break bond. your heart by being like, who are you? And why is there a microphone in front of my face? Wait, what restaurant was it? You can tell me. No one's listening at this point. No, here, I'll text it to you. There we go. Ooh, perfect. Hold on. Okay. Yes, this is going to be great. This is great tape. <laughs> I'm so glad we didn't discuss this beforehand. This is a moment you would never have gotten if you no, knew going that. in that this was going to be the movie. It's not really uh, like an insult to her. I just... I thought you were talking about the restaurant that you have texted me, mm-hmm. but I it still have ex- no memory of this person. It was Did like she have the, a severe bob like yeah, this? Yeah, it was the main... She had like kind of shortish blonde hair. It was mostly like she had a like a similar... She was very slender, had a similar face, a little bit of like the kind of overbite, just to be frank about it. Beautiful woman, both the actress in this movie and the woman at the restaurant. Not that it matters what, the, what I think about it, but like... <laughs> You're doing great. Just keep going. <laughs> just flop sweat. Just like... <laughs> you look like Richard Nixon right now. <laughs> Why is he talking about the Irish all of a sudden? <laughs> I do remember that the hostess at this restaurant, she dies in the Broadway version, but she survives right. when she was right. at that restaurant. So yeah, that does yeah. make sense. That does track why we would call her Audrey One. I love giving nicknames to side characters in my life, and I am ashamed that I formed no permanent file. I guess I had to... Wow. Whatever. Wow. I thought we were going to have a little bit of a thread there to follow, but maybe you come up with something. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, I do remember as a kid, there was a Duncan Hines commercial, and the four tops were in the four the Duncan Hines commercial, and they sang, they did Sugar Pie Honey Bunch, but they changed it to Duncan Hines something else, and I remember my dad going, that's the plant from Little Shop Horrors. Oh, and I was yeah. like, what are you talking about? And it was, it was Levi Stubbs of the four tops. I think we've talked about this in a what episode I don't know, but an episode passed that the four tops is one of those of many groups from the sixties that the sort of vocal groups, the, the temptations, four tops, the spinners, the like, what is the one that my, the proud boys, the imagineers. No, those are different <laughs> things, but there's a whole group of singers that now they're still going. Not only is it not the original members in some cases, it's like maybe one. Some cases, it's zero of the original members. Some case, In some cases, they have multiple versions of these groups out, uh-huh. and it's bonkers. It's like it's like going to see Little Shop of Horrors, where you're like, what? Rick Moranis isn't here. Why would Rick Moranis be here? You know what I mean? There's no- There's a regional The Temptations going around. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a Are thing. Are any of the original the Temptations- in the temptations. I don't know, but I don't think so. I don't know about and we were just talking about the four tops. I don't know. But. So is it a ship of Theseus type thing? Like when you remove each temptation right. and then just add new temptations, is it still the temptations? 
a question that Axel Rose has been asking, not about the Temptations, but about Guns N' Roses. But about for, the Four for Tops, because that's the one he was originally. <laughs> yeah. All right, wait, wait, I just got onto the Temptations really <laughs> hardcore. I kept trying to steer tops. you back. But Sorry. You were like... Sorry, Levi Stubbs. Also the voice of Mother Brain in 80s <gasps> cartoons. Oh. In a similar vein, they were like, yeah, you've done a masculine-coded person with a traditionally woman's name in another movie, so why don't you be Mother Brain and just do the same voice? Yeah. It's weird. And he was like, okay. Yeah. Do you have a check for me? Or <laughs> I'm expecting to enjoy this, and maybe even more, because I know that watching it, however recently it was, I noticed a lot of things I didn't as a kid, and I think I will notice even more, because I'll be taking little, little jot-down notes. True. And I also want to point out, there is a fun Miriam Margulies appearance in this. She's a British actress. Okay. That I have recently fallen in love with, as has the rest of the world, I feel like. She is someone who cannot filter herself on talk shows. So she is very short and to the point, but she's very charming and lovable. But she plays okay. Steve Martin's nurse in this movie. Oh, okay. Like, I think it's one of her first American roles. Delightful. You're going to love it. Well, let's watch The Little Shop of Horrors. And uh, we'll let's do that now. Let's go. I think the only way to handle the commercial for this is for you to go ahead and craft us a little ditty in the style of <laughs> 60s doo wop advertising okay, our Patreon okay. page. Wait, you're already crafting. You're you're already mid craft. Well, so I'll, maybe I'll play it the sounds bass like. Part. Oh, interesting. And then I'll craft the ditty around the bass part. Yeah. I mean, listen to yourself. This yeah. is songwriting. I, I like you said that like it was so absurd. <laughs> huh? I have no idea. I have no idea if it's absurd or absurd. <laughs> There's no way for me to know. Normal absurd. <laughs> listen, you forget all that. <laughs> okay. Consider it done. If you want something like this, you gotta pay. Patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. <laughs> you can support the show. You can support at different levels. You can get your name read in the credits. You can get a name in the written credits. You can have your requests for new show topics shot to the top of the list. You can have Damon craft little ditties for you. That's a new thing we're gonna be offering. Mm, okay. What level is that? Just so I know when to be sick. <laughs> it's $90 an episode. I will... Draw you a cartoon and Damon will write you a song. It just makes <laughs> sense. Patreon.com slash your child's an idiot. Of horror. Sorry. Now that is clever. Because like the Patreon levels might be killing you or... Well, they start out cute. When you enter your the credit pitch. card information, they eat you? They start out cute, but then... Uh-huh. Yeah. They only want a small amount of blood. But then... You gotta let this go. go. You, you gotta, gotta let the commercial something. end at some point. You gotta, you gotta just go ahead. Go. Just go ahead. You were going to do something funny. Just go ahead. Just do your thing. Do your little skit or whatever. There was no skit. There was me saying, hey, we're back. We watched Little Shop of Horrors at Damon's behest. Thank you. First spoopy season. And I'm spooped. I'll tell you. Consider me spooped. Yeah. Whose turn is it to recap? I think it's got to be whoever's episode I think it is, it's right? Okay, that's yeah. fair, I guess. New rule. Ladies and gentlemen, picture, if you will, early 1960s, New York City. Shama ding dong. Sorry, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to help you. Kennedy, still very much alive. Skull, very much intact. <sighs> I had to get specific with it. 
We open on a corner flower shop that is not doing well financially. Okay. They just sit around all day. They don't have... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting the commercial break. I appreciate the scene setting, but we don't need to watch the movie, okay? I'm sorry, I'm getting I'm getting a sign that we're running out of low on time. We're going to have to push Green Day until tomorrow. Thank you, everyone. It was going to be really clever to have Green Day on with the right, plants, right, yeah. but you know, sometimes that's show business. We're just going to have yeah. to push them off. <laughs> yeah, so just go ahead and start over. It's fine. You're right. You're right. No. Lose all the Green Day stuff. The sweet-ass Green Day stuff. <laughs> Keep all this. Anyway. There's a little shop. Mushnick's flower shop. Failing flower shop. It's got three employees. Mushnick, Seymour, Audrey. One, for legal purposes. Mm-hmm. We find out that Seymour, Krellborn, nebbishy nerd, perhaps pimply, according to songs, but I didn't see any. He found a small, what he assumes is some sort of Venus flytrap type plant when he was out shopping at a wholesale flower district the other day. And during a total eclipse of the sun, he found this new form of plant. He takes it back. He slowly realizes that it actually drinks blood after he pricks himself on some rose thorns. Horrific. So he starts feeding it blood and whoa, wouldn't you know it? It starts creating business for the flower shop, which starts to become like a tourist site, and he starts getting more and more famous. Now, Audrey 1, he names the plant Audrey 2. That's why I keep specifying the numbers on the Audreys. Audrey 1 seems to be dating a physically and emotionally abusive sadomasochistic dentist, played by Steve Martin. And Audrey 2, who turns out can talk, by the way, convinces Seymour that he should kill her boyfriend and feed him to them. And so Seymour doesn't technically in a legal sense kill him, but he eventually gets possession of the dead body, chops it up, feeds it to the plant. Plant gets even bigger. Seymour gets even more famous. He eventually kills Mushnik. Eventually the plant almost kills Audrey one, but they destroy the plant and they live happily ever after in the suburbs until lo and behold, Camera pan down to garden bed, and another little Audrey's down there. Little little End scene. One of my better ones, aside from the Green Day stuff that's definitely not going to make it into the episode. Yeah. So that's our show. (laughs) Welcome back to recapping movies you don't have time to watch. There's also an alternate ending, which we'll talk about at length, but we did watch the alternate ending. What we didn't watch or I didn't watch, was the original movie. Apparently there was a... I have seen the original movie okay. in my life, but not, but for, not this. for the purposes of There's this There's a Roger Corman, like the original non-musical, and then they made an off-Broadway, and then I think eventually Broadway musical about it. And so this is an adaptation of the musical based on the original movie. And then Correct. there's also a cartoon, which we mentioned in the intro, which I vaguely remember. The Roger Corman original is... Fun, mostly in watching it in relation to this film. On its own, it's not as fun. It's also fun because it's one of the earliest, if not the earliest, performance from Jack Nicholson, who plays Arthur Denton, who Bill Murray plays in this movie. The the masochistic dentist. He loves going to this dentist because he delivers pain, I guess. Very weird choice. And that's, that's how we know that Steve Martin is a true villain in this, is that he is a sadist who doesn't want a masochist. Right. He wants someone who does not want to be hurt. Yeah. And that's how we know he's real trouble. Yeah. That should be the perfect relationship, him and Arthur Denton. Arthur Denton wants to be hurt. Steve Martin wants to hurt people. 
but he doesn't like that Arthur Denton's into it. Yeah. So he deserved to be fed to a plant. I think that's just the justice system. I think that's what we learned from this. <laughs> so we get this is actually the same journey that Hairspray had, right? Because Hairspray started out as a movie. And then they made a musical based on the movie, and then made a movie musical based on the musical. Interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder how many other things have followed that that path. Well, do you mean in terms of like being sort of a low-budget movie and then a cult classic movie? Because, I mean, there's plenty of movies that... There's a ghost musical, DJ. But there's not a movie of the ghost musical yet. True. So I think it's That's just that... And the musical, like this little shop of horrors that we're talking about right now vastly surpassed in terms of popularity the original and the, the music I mean, by nature of the a musical just being a movie is always gonna have a way bigger potential audience than a musical just because it like is a physical thing you have to go see unless it becomes like and you don't have to pay three hundred dollars yeah. to go see you know a thursday matinee well if you had something like go fuck yourself broadway <laughs> that's what i'm trying to say that's mostly for adam who gets really angry when i criticize broadway in that way. <laughs> I think I'm a, I was always like, I've been in musicals and I like worked in musical theater, but I was always kind of like, because I didn't grow up with it. I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, some of them are good, but I think I'm generally a Broadway convert now because I've been to New York a couple of times, seen a couple of shows and I'm like, I can see this. I just missed the boat early on because Mm -hmm. no one took me to New York when I was a child and spent a billion dollars. We take you to too many shows. You have to limit young boys to two shows a year. If you go over that, instantly queer. Well, I saw enough growing up in Ohio. I didn't see good ones. That was the, (laughs) I saw like me, I was in like mediocre ones where I saw community theater (laughs) productions or whatever. You're playing, this fucking sucks. (laughs) Guys, I don't know, this this production of Joseph and Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat fucking sucks. Let me tell you. No, I'm playing guitar great. (laughs) I just think this isn't, I think you guys are the problem. Let me tell you a little secret about being a professional performer. (laughs) They all, if a show sucks... They all know it. I promise you. (laughs) Or at least most of them. I remember in my Beach High School Theater One production of Remembering Stuff, we also were kind of aware that the the show sucked. You know, there's that one kid who's like probably going to go on to be an actor or actress. And you're like, they're good. The rest of us are terrible. But hey, it gets me out of choir practice after school or something. (laughs) Frank Oz directed this. Which, famously, but yes. I, I don't think I ever put that together. But. He's famous for many things, but he also directed this. Yes. He's our Yoda. He's our Miss Piggy. To a lesser extent, our Grover. He's great. He also has a cameo in the alternate ending, which I've never caught before until rewatching. Oh, what was time. he in the alternate ending? He's just a bystander who is like standing on a street corner, and then all of a sudden, vines wrap around him, and he gets pulled off frame. And I was like, I think that's Frank Oz. We saw him in a cameo in Blues Brothers. The 80s oh, were yeah. really big for Frank Oz. He had Muppets Take Manhattan. He directed this. He started, obviously, he was Yoda, and he did a bunch of Muppet voices as well. Like He had a big decade. Yeah, he was doing cocaine off of <laughs> Rolf's ear. He didn't even voice Rolf, guys. I don't even know why I said that. I'd like to apologize to the good people at Muppets, Inc., a subsidiary of Disney Corp. <laughs> Be careful. Why do you think Steve Martin got the special appearance by tag i'm always i thought that was weird too i don't know what the rule why these people got special appearance buys this is a big year for him too the same year as three amigos which we just watched 
I was confused by, because in the trailer, I rewatched the trailers and the narrator of the trailer, that's how old the trailers are, they still had narrators, not Don LaFontaine, but some other voice I kind of recognized. (laughs) And they also specifically said, with special appearances by, unless it's Steve Martin, Bill Murray, James Belushi, yada, yada, yada. I don't know, I feel like there's legal rules on special appearance buys, because even... I remember as a kid, I'm like, it's a movie. It's not a. Spe- it's it's not an episode of Cheers. Like this is the movie. Yeah. He's in yeah. it. It's not like usually when I watch Little Shop of Horrors, Steve Martin's not in it. But every third time <laughs> I put the videotape in, this is the version with Steve Martin in it. I know there's some like contractual, like there's some union rules, and you know maybe his agent or he negotiated that or whatever. Bill Murray famously doesn't have an agent, so he must have. He didn't get the special appearance by title, though. So I don't know. It's one of those things where I'm always curious about it, but not enough to ask enough questions to get an answer because I don't really care. If we could get an entertainment attorney in here, that'd be great. We get the Greek chorus. What are the singers called? They have a name. They have names. They do have names. One's named Chiffon. I remember that, but I can't remember all their names. There is an odd Martin connection, as in the Fox sitcom Martin, in that both Tisha Arnold and... No, I've mixed it up again. Tisha Campbell and Tashina Arnold are both in Martin, and they're both in the chorus to Little Shop of Horrors. And when I was a kid and realized that, for some reason, I was blown away. Because I had a lot of the first 15 minutes of Martin on videotape yeah. because it came on right after The Simpsons. Uh, and that was usually we got home from like Bible study and I had to like stop the tape so I could watch my episode of The Simpsons. I definitely watched. I had a lot of friends. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I was a regular watcher of Martin for reasons because it was a good show and it was on. Well, at least I thought it was good at the time. We'll have to revisit that at some point. And I remember seeing this Shanene after. And other characters. I, Go I ahead. remember seeing this after Martin and being like, Tisha Campbell. And at which I know from the credits. <laughs> I wouldn't have recognized the other lady probably because I like the way brain. they're used. I think her name is Michelle Weeks is the third okay. one in the I like the way they use the chorus because they are all somewhat ethereal, but they're also real people who live in the neighborhood. Yeah. Skid Row is the neighborhood in that you'll see them and they'll just be in street clothes and then they'll walk off screen come back on screen and then they're in like full-on mary Flo and diana like doo-wop yeah. outfits ready to sing a song i'm always charmed when they're on screen and sometimes it's creepy the way they're used on screen yeah. in one of the later songs in supper time when rick Moranis sort of lures mr mushnick into audrey too You don't really fully see them. They're like in an alley, like through the window. And they just sort of, they're wearing these purple sequin dresses and you see the sequins before you see them, which is kind of eerie. And then they're behind like a window shade. So you see their silhouette and you can still sort of see the sequins reflecting through the window shade. It's very effective. And they all do a lot with not that much. I mean, aside from the singing, they don't have many lines but they're very effective. They have that's a creepy song too because they're just kind of whisper yeah. singing supper time and they're like doing like come hither motions and Yeah. I think they do also a great job of just setting up that this is a legit musical. We're not doing like comedian singing so much as these people can fucking wail like <laughs> immediately. <laughs> and it also sets up this idea that it's not 
What I like is that it's a very artificial looking, I mean that in a good way, it's a very artificial looking movie. It's meant to sort of be fantastical and them being present from the get-go. Like they're the first people you see in this movie singing the title song. And then you see this like set that is very much a set. It's a really nice set, but it is still very much clearly they didn't go out to Queens to film this. They built this really nice set. Like, imagine if Sesame Street had more meth on it. Like, it has that vibe. I often do. (laughs) I like that it didn't hide its... It wasn't ashamed of its, like, musical roots. Because I was trying to think... Because the 80s, I think, were an awkward time for movie musicals. I feel like the 80s and 90s were like this sort of desert of movie musicals. Broadway was having a field day with Phantom of the Opera and Cats and also Little Shop of Horrors and a lot of other things. But in movies, I think the 70s moved towards like realism and verisimilitude. It sort of killed the movie musical. And you didn't see many. You might see one or two like throughout the decade, but rarely big hits and... I think that's interesting that this is one of the few that like popped its head up and actually was successful because I couldn't think of any other 80s musical movie musicals while I was watching this. Well, it did kind of underperform what they were expecting, but it also it did catch on a lot, I guess, in VHS and like later broadcasts and stuff like that. So it was kind of thing that came. It wasn't like cult hit status like I think it made its money back, but it wasn't like this massive hit or it wasn't as had as big of a culture impact as it ended up having later. Right. Okay. I don't know why. Got some hits in here by... Because people didn't want to see musicals. Yeah, Ashman and Mankin. You might know them from Little Mermaid and... Friends of the Pod. Yeah. Friends of the yeah. Pod. What else did they write together? They sort of got All like... disney Sucked into the Disney yeah. realm, much like Stuart Pankin. Yes. <laughs> Never to be seen again. They started working on Beauty and the Beast, but Ashman died, I think... During Aladdin, I think. Into Beauty and the Beast. Oh, was it? So, yeah, I think. Or he may have started on Aladdin, I'm yeah. not sure, but... He died early on in the 90s. Some bops. But again, like this is a really... Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I was just saying, Go there's some bops. The songs are bops. Do you want to rate songs? Do you want to go through the movie and rate them as we go? Yeah, let's go through it. Okay, so we got the Little Shop theme. I did write Catchy down all fuck. the songs because I wanted to remember it, and I don't, I'm don't. i sure I won't remember them all exactly. But- oh, wait, before we get into this, I want to point out, I had a memory that I wish I had brought up during the introduction, Okay, where... Dear listener, if you are a younger millennial or, dear God, a Gen Zer, which if you're a Gen Zer, go make some friends. You don't need to be hanging out with older people like us. You're like, hang out with your parents' friends right now. What are you doing? <laughs> Get out of here. I went on a quest as a older teen to get the Little Shop of Horrors soundtrack, which in the mid to late 90s was a Sisyphean ordeal of trying to like hunt it down because I was calling to record stores in my area to see if they carried the Little Shop of Horrors soundtrack. And the only one that did was Tower Records, which was like right smack dab in the middle of downtown Nashville. And I got Phyllis Anthopoulos, Saint, living Saint among us, to drive me down to downtown Nashville from Goodlettsville suburbs. She drove me down so I could walk in for 30 seconds, ask the clerk, do you have the Little Shop of Horror soundtrack? The surly teen who was probably like just slightly older than me, but felt like 20 years older than me, showed me the thing. I bought it and I brought it home and I was so excited and I listened to the Little Shop of Horror soundtrack all the time. By the way, this is 10 years after the movie came out. So I like had a quest to find this, this soundtrack. But before you came. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
just a little local color here. I like that she drove for 15 minutes to get to downtown. <laughs> no, I get, I get it. If I had a kid, I'd be like, go yeah, fuck I'm, yourself. I'm from the suburbs. I get it. It would be like, to the city? To Tower Records? It's so big. <laughs> we have a perfectly good CD store here. No, we do not, Mom. Media Play <laughs> media, doesn't call count. Media Play. They have 20 <laughs> CDs for $10. <laughs> we got the little shop theme little shop little shop of horse we got skid row down on skid row the song is called dadu which is basically just the background singers doing a little doo-wop stuff and then seymour telling the oh. story of how he bought which was actually it was really great the, the whole sequence was really great but the song is is not really a song it's also is it one take that sequence it's where he tells the story filmed as if it is and it's like okay Oh, right, because it does pan to the, the eclipse and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but it's it's a, kind of a play within a play. He's like reenacting mm-hmm. what he already like did. Like Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. It's much like Hamlet. I mean, it's got the Greek chorus. <laughs> Isn't that in Hamlet? <laughs> nah, shit. <laughs> no. Shit. There's a ghost in it. Is there a ghost in this? We're going to get a Venn diagram going. I don't know. Grow for me. So that's when Seymour's singing about, kind of weird. I don't remember how he's he's pleading with the plant yeah. to actually grow because the plant is sickly and he needs it to grow now that it seemed to brought Bring brought business. in business somewhere that it has a lot of sweet gardening lyrics yes. in there yeah if you garden or have had a lot of plants die on you you will recognize a lot of these uh, instructions much like we've commended them for their lyrics in the disney movies too like the, the lyrics are awesome like the music the lyrics it's all really really well it's very tightly composed really cleverly worded it's great somewhere that's green which is audrey one's i wish song yeah she wants to grow old and <laughs> live with fat and rick moranis it's great <laughs> they see their future together and, and then some fun now which is the chorus sings about and we having some fun now because the plant wants to eat more and more and yeah, more it's like a montage of like watching the plant grow and seymour having defeated yeah. his his finger blood he starts to get a little anemic because he's losing blood he does at one point and this is i had never caught this but he says i've been a little lightheaded right recently and i'm like oh right because he doesn't have any blood in the system i think at least one of my favorites if not my favorite which is dentist by steve martin oh yeah i did have to rewind the whole sequence we'll, we'll get to that in a second but feed me by the plant when we learn that it can talk I feel like that I remember being a thing for some reason. Maybe feed it was just a thing in my more. house. I know my dad would, oh, yeah. would sing Feed Me Seymour, Feed Me All Night Long. Yes. I wouldn't say that. He would sing the song and reference it a lot. Definitely a thing. I, it's even in Scrooged. Bill Murray sings Feed Me Seymour, Feed Me at the end of Scrooged, which is an odd, odd pairing. Yeah, he does. When he's at that part where he's singing to the audience, like during yeah. the last part where it just feels like everyone's drunk and having a good time with movie cameras, he says, feed me, Seymour, feed me. Oh. Hmm. I said it's an odd parent. <laughs> that phrase, at least, if not the song, and suddenly Seymour, which is the next one, that's like a breakout song for this. And then Supper Time, which we talked about. And then it's called The Meek Shall Inherit, which is just, that's the song of when he becomes even more famous because he's starting to feed bodies. Go on. As a soundtrack owner, I can tell you that this is probably the most edited song. There is a whole part of this where Rick Moranis has like a crisis of faith where he sings, he wants to get rid of the plant. Yeah. And he's like, but if I get rid of the plant, I'll lose her. Right. I think it was edited out of the, the full movie, but it, it was a pretty good song on the soundtrack. Yeah. 
Same thing with Some Fun Now. There was a lot edited out, but not, a, I mean, it's just the same vibe over right. and over again. Yeah. But this one had like a emotional beat that was cut out. And then probably in my top, if not tied for my favorites, Mean Green, Mother from Outer Space. Absolutely my favorite. Number one, With a Rocket. Do people say that? Yeah. With a Rocket, my number one. You know I love a villain song, as we already talked good. about during- Which dentist is too. Little Mermaid. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're both great songs, but Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, it's a rare villain song in that it comes as the last song yeah. in the thing, which is fitting if you consider the directorial version rather than the theatrical version, but absolutely my favorite. Also edited, has a fun mm. bridge that, that got cut out, but it's a great song. I fucking love it. It's on my running mix. It comes on my running mix, and I think I rarely skip it. It's just a lot of fun to listen it's to. It's good. I mean- Let's go ahead and talk, start talking about the cast because like, Levi Stubbs just like everyone in this movie, anybody that's featured for any length of time is like 10 out of 10. Levi Stubbs <laughs> is like just absolutely, it's so good. The voice work, the singing. And the puppetry. I mean, the puppetry, I yes. feel like, is melded really well yeah. with the attitude he brings to Audrey too. I mean, I did watch this. I have been watching this movie every so often for 30 years now. It's fine to say it. <laughs> And I am still, when I watch the Audrey 2 segments, I'm like, but how did they do it, though? I was watching it, and I was like, did they film it in slow motion and speed it up? Yes. Is that what they, they did. did? Yeah. Because I was watching, I would go to Rick Moranis, who's in the shot with the plant, yeah. and it doesn't feel like there's any... He just, I guess, did a really good job of moving slowly, so it didn't seem... Yeah, they weird. They slowed it down and then did these crazy things where they had the like super slowed down but pitched up so you could understand what was being said to him. Mm. And then he had to say his lines or sing his lines slowly so that when they sped it back up, it didn't look weird. Just wild. I mean, but yeah, the puppet. But it looks great. It looks so good. And the natural, natural, you know, for a big giant plant. <laughs> but like it looks. <laughs> the natural speaking plant. Go yeah. on. So you've got the, the mouth, which is clearly like kind of a puppet in the sense that it's like there's somebody operating it in there, but it's not, it's not like a sock puppet. It's like, it looks, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like a miniature that no, they're zooming I know. in I saw on. The movie too. And then they've got the, the like vines or he's using his vines like, uh, all the time. And they, they don't look, but it's not just like a hand. Right. It's not operating like Miss Piggy because there's a whole lip thing. There's yeah. a tongue that's in there as well. Like the lips have like, they curl and, and pucker and all the things you'd expect lips to do. Like, yeah. it's kind of amazing. I wrote to you that I, I had said aloud, like, this is better than Marvel special effects, and then instantly aged 15 years <laughs> in my couch. But it really is amazing to see practical effects that are this seamless. My favorite part of the plant is when it opens its mouth and you look inside because it's it's a mouth and it's very clearly like it has like a tongue thing, but the tongue is like a leaf and it's got yes. like, it's all very leafy and very plant-like inside. And I mean, just the details are there. It's incredible. The details are fantastic. I do want to point out, and this is something I caught, not this time watching, but a few times ago watching, but as Audrey drinks more blood, its mouth becomes more mouth-like and less plant-like. Mm. So there's a scene where Rick Moranis goes to WSKID, Skid Row Radio. And John Candy he, is the DJ. John Candy is Wink Wilkerson. 
hard name to say. But he takes Audrey 2 with him, and Audrey 2, while Rick Moranis is distracted by a nun puppet, tries to bite the butt of the producer who's running the show. And it opens its mouth, Audrey opens their mouth, and it's purple inside and has like this yellow plant-like tongue. And then when it is really big and sings Feed Me, it has a big purple mouth still, but a pink tongue, I feel like. And then when it's giant in the last sequence, it has still has a purple mouth and it's getting more and more like features, I feel like. But then when it eats, tries to eat Audrey, its mouth turns pink. From then on, its mouth is pink on the inside, no longer purple. It is more and more animal-like as the movie goes on. I always feel like it's a weird element of the plant that it it's quite an amazing creation. Like I can't get over that this is a 30-year-old movie and this plant looks so fucking amazing. And if you tried to do a CGI Audrey, I would kill you and myself <laughs> and bury us in the same tomb. Like I'd be so mad. Like, don't bother. I guess the only thing if I were gonna point out something is like when it's the very first thing it does, the where it moves is so Seymour cuts himself on a thorn and then is like sucking blood <laughs> off and it just starts going and it's like a little plant and that is very puppet like, yeah. but it's also just more surreal and off putting, which is the whole point. I think it served its purpose, even if you could be like that looks more puppety than it does later. It's not really even a criticism because I'm like, it kind of tracks. While we're talking about special effects, we have to talk about during one of my favorite songs, Dentist. There's this incredible <laughs> shot. So it's basically just Steve Martin's character, Oren. What is his? Oren Scrivello DDS. Yes. He's the evil dentist boyfriend of Audrey One. And there's this whole sequence. The song is incredible. He's this badass dentist, leather like very jacket. styled on Elvis. Yes. He rides in on a motorcycle and just looks at it to make it stop, which I really like that movie. <laughs> But there's this one uh-huh. scene while we're talking about visual effects where he's working on a patient and we see from inside the mouth. And so it's this giant mouth and a tongue and like these big craggly teeth. Steve Martin and the nurses are like singing behind. The chorus are oh, dressed the chorus. As That's what it is. Yeah. Him, yeah. And oh my God, it's so great. I had to watch that whole. It's amazing. It's again yeah. amazing. I had to watch that whole song twice, which I remember I did last year when I watched this too. I had to rewind it because the whole thing cracked me up so much. And don't forget, the mouth is also singing background. Yes. But background in a way where it sounds like a mouth with something yes. in it. I am the dentist. Yeah. I even wrote one of my notes is the mouth, all caps with an exclamation point. And the the end of that sequence, he's saying, ah, ah, and he's like squirting the water into the mouth. <laughs> I don't know why that <laughs> cracked me up so much, but it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. I didn't catch it when I was younger, of course, but I mean, he's obviously styled after Elvis. He has a Southern accent, or at least Steve Martin plays him with a Southern accent. He also has a shrine to his mama in his dental office. It feels like some Ed Gein nonsense because he goes in and it's like strung up with brightly colored Christmas lights. She seems too old to possibly be his mother. I mean, she looks like she would be born in the 1900s, which means she would be already 60 when she would have given birth to him. But it's so freaky. Steve Martin really plays this character very well. He's a complete asshole. He's very funny, though. One of the things I feel like this movie may get away with in a way that I'm kind of 
in awe of is that he is an abusive monster and it gets away with a lot of jokes about domestic abuse that do not feel offensive, but do feel like they turn you against him, but are still like legitimately funny jokes. At one point, Audrey One comes into the flower shop. She has her arm in a sling, but it's a sexy sling. It's like a a chiffon, Yeah. yeah, black lace sling that she's made herself. He insists that she call him doctor. And say his full name, Oren Scavello, DDS. It's really fucked up. Yeah, Steve Martin's obviously having a great time with this. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know if we need a problematic corner for that. But yeah, if if you are a victim of domestic abuse, I could see you being like, I don't find this (laughs) that funny. But it's also like this, he is arch villain. You know what I mean? There is no, the whole point is you don't care when he's chopped up and fed to the plant. Like it's very dark. Sweeney Todd I mean, he level. is made, yeah. it's kind of like a slasher movie yes. in that he is made to be so bad so that you do not care when Jason Voorhees chops his right. head off yeah. in the middle of trying to lure a girl into the shower. Yeah. Like, that's his entire purpose. Mushnik, though, and I, I feel like, I, I'm not, this is not a criticism of the movie, but we see Oren die. That's the first victim of the plant. And that is a technicality. Rick Moranis, convinced by the plant to go kill his crush's, you know, abusive boyfriend. He goes to kill him. He sees him beating her through the window across. She lives across the street, apparently. From the flower shop. But so, so Rick Moranis goes to the dental office and by coincidence, Steve Martin overdoses on nitrous oxide, on laughing gas, because he has a whole machine set up. Insane mask. I don't know if that's a thing that people (laughs) have. It's got like the two little inflatable the balloons, balloons that inflate. It's got a whole jet pack apparatus on the back. It's completely insane. I mean, I don't want to talk about Steve Martin's this entire time, but it is such a great really performance. Yeah. So Rick Moranis does not kill Steve Martin. Yeah. And I feel like it's the movie kind of giving him an out. But then later, Mr. Mushnick witnesses Seymour chopping up Steve right. Martin's character. He tries to blackmail Seymour into giving him all the gardening tips for Audrey too, who's now like big and, and famous and will buy him a ticket out of town and he'll never come back. And then Rick Morena sees Audrey too, like opening yeah. their mouth and he sort of just inches himself closer. He doesn't technically push him in, but it's like, right. he's definitely, but he doesn't not. He doesn't, yeah. The movie tries to convince us. And I feel like the movie purposefully leaves it nebulous it tells us that Mushnik's not a great guy. Right. But he also, we see him like not being a terrible guy. He's kind of a gruff guy, but yeah. he's not a terrible right. guy. He shows concern about Audrey One. He tells her a good date should get you a corsage, not a double fracture. You don't need a date. You need major medical. Like he's very concerned about Audrey One. And, he took you know, he kind of Seymour is gruff in. towards. You know, he took him in. Yeah, yeah, he took Seymour in. He's not maybe the best parent, but yeah. we don't see him being absolutely terrible to him. So it's a little sad when Mushnick dies. Yeah, it's definitely immediately because we, you know, they set the the dentist up. They set Doctor Orrin Scrivener DDS. I do it right. Scrivello, Scrivello. I believe, is what it is. <laughs> Sorry, I mean it's. I think it's deliberately made to be as awkward as possible. They, yeah, Scrivello. They set that up so much that. You're like, you You see this sort of very quick slippery slope of then Mushnick is like, well, I had to because he's blackmailing me. It was like, yeah, he's not, he's not evil, pure evil, like 
Scrivello was, but he's not good. So it's, you know, it's okay. You can see it, the right. complicated, which is very cool and intentional. And plus, Seymour is just like a sweet pie, so you automatically side with him. I mean, yeah. Rick Moranis. I mean, we're sort of glossing over Rick Moranis and Ellen Green in this. Let's talk about Rick but Moranis. They also are fantastic. Let, let's talk about Rick Moranis. I think I overlooked him always because it's like, it's the guy from Financial Strong with the Kids or the guy from SCTV or whatever. But he not only does his Rick Moranis thing, which is great being mm-hmm. the sort of like, the nerdy put upon. He's a really good. It's very exaggerated in this because he's like, oh, you know, she'll never love me, you know. But <laughs> right, he also he gets to sing. He does get to sing. He he holds his own. He I does, will say. especially as it goes along. Like he gets more confident, and his mm-hmm. singing gets more confident. He gets more to do. He gets more like the high notes and the singing. Like by the end, I can't remember which song it is. Suddenly Seymour is probably one that I'm thinking of. He Yeah, he does get a big note in, in Suddenly Seymour. Yeah, he's like, he's singing. He sounds great. And I know he's an actual singer. He did a country album, which is... Several. Confusing. But <laughs> but good. He's a good singer. He was, he was incredible. And I think that it's easy to overlook, which I also did for Ellen Green as a kid watching this. I saw the superficial of like the boobs and the voice, right? Of like, she's the sort of damsel and the whatever but she it's a pretty complicated character she's actually really talented and smart like the character but also she is incredible the voice is incredible like the the acting the comedic timing the the singing it's it's all just like ellen green is and she's doing it through a speech impediment as well she sort of swallows her r's a little bit yeah and also doing a New York accent as well as the speech impediment. Right. Sure. Ellen Green is, I mean, I feel like because also she, this is probably her biggest role, at least movie wise. I think she's a Broadway person. She originated the this. role, I guess, on, yeah, on the off Broadway show. Yes. She's fantastic in this. So good. I feel like I was thinking about this while I was watching, like, is this falling into the nice guy trap? And I think it's not teetering on the edge, but I think what keeps it from falling completely into the nice guy trope is that she, while beautiful, is also kind of flawed and doesn't see herself as worthy of the things that she truly wants. And so I feel like that keeps it from stuff like 10 Things I Hate About You or Joseph Gordon-Levitt is just grumpy that girls aren't falling for him because he's just holding doors for them left and right (laughs) is just a really... I mean, I think it it rescued the the movie from falling into that trope. Yeah. Now, he does kill people for her, and that's problematic. But I I feel like the fact that they're both have their own flaw, individual flaws, keeps it above water for me. When I like that we see that she's not just this, like, bombshell. She's making the incredible arrangements Mm -hmm. that have kept this shop afloat, such as it was, even though it's struggling, like... When they get the funeral or whatever, when they start getting business and Mrs. Shiva, the sh- yeah, the whole body, it's enormous and it's dropping like flies. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, she's like, she's like, give me the, give me the tulips, whatever. And she's like, makes an arrangement. The lilies, the lilies that's what <laughs> yeah. it is. She's throwing glitter on yeah, them. It's very good. I do like. I mean, I feel like. And this might be Howard Ashman. I feel like this is sort of a queer take on on a character, a very specifically queer take, in that she is very sweet. It treads this line perfectly of like seemingly making fun of her while also thinking she's amazing. Right. Her song, Somewhere That's Green, which is every time I rehear it, I'm like, this is a great song. <laughs> because it's, it's ridiculous. It's kind of making fun of yeah. her for having such low 
goals for her. Her dreams are moving to the suburbs, having a tiny home and watching I Love Lucy on a 12-inch screen. Like, that's all she wants. Being with this nebbishy guy and having two kids and they're playing How Do You Do Do While the Sun Sets. But isn't that kind of nice? That (laughs) does sound really nice. It's kind of an amazing performance and an amazing character. It really does work for me. I want to talk more about her when we get to the alternate ending. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? I think... I mean, we're. I want to say that more towards the end because I want to talk about the first ending first and then we can talk about the alternate ending. But yeah, who else do we have in here? Vincent Gardini, I think, does a great job. As Mushnik. I only know him from Moonstruck, Death Wish, and this. Yeah. But yeah, he plays Mr. Mushnik. He's great. Yeah. I mean, those are the the main. It's a very small cast, which is, I think, I was reading some of the like part of the reason that it's very appealing to community theaters and like high school productions is it's got a very small cast. <laughs> you don't need a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, I know who we have to talk to. I know who you're about to it popped into my head too. Yeah. Go ahead, say his name. His name is Christopher Guest. You might know him. <laughs> you probably know him from SNL very briefly and that's it. No, he's <laughs> You probably know him from those awkward years on SNL when they brought in a bunch of established comedians and it's <laughs> it kind of odd. Christopher Guest is in this he plays the first New customer after they get... They put Audrey 2 in the window, yeah, and it lures in a customer. The character he plays is absolutely deranged. The voice he gives him... What a strange and interesting plan. <laughs> he also seems miked in, unlike everyone he's else in the like scene. A, like he's like a 40s reverberating yeah. through the room. Yeah. He has that Phil Hartman quality where he just has like a, a like he's announcing a sports game. Like, what are you, who are you projecting towards? He's like, can you break a 50? And they're like, oh, sorry, we can't. They think they're going to lose his business. And then he goes, well, I guess I'll just have to buy twice as many then, won't I? <laughs> it's, he's enunciating, he's projecting. It's ridiculous. It's my favorite thing. I, he's my nominee for the Sally Fields Memorial Single Scene Award. <laughs> Seconded. She's alive. We know she's alive. <laughs> People don't get our joke. It's a joke. <laughs> he also not only is doing this weird voice, he's doing something with his physicality where he's like moving almost like Batman, where he has to like move his entire torso rather than his head. Yeah. It's almost like his head moves and then his eyes follow where his head went. So it gives you this jarring element of like theatricality. This is a little hard to tell and it doesn't really matter. And I don't think we know that exactly the answer, but the plant is making this stuff happen, not just in terms of being an appealing thing in the window, but like the plant is actually making this happen because he's like, I've given you all these things. I've given you everything oh, you uh-huh. want. We don't know how the plant is making it happen. Wait, so you you're viewing it as like the plant has some sort of extraneous power that we're not privy to? I think it's possible. It would also help explain, not that we need it explained, but the sort of even more exaggerated way that Christopher Guest is acting is he's coming in <laughs> and he's like he's like brainwashed. Like, well then. <laughs> and of course it's just funny and it doesn't again, this doesn't matter, but I d- I did have that little pet theory today where I was like um, I, you know, it's possible that that's, you know, the plant has these sort of like psychic powers and is like making all this happen, which is why they're like, Seymour, sign here, sign here, sign here. It mm-hmm. is like already kind of played silly by our, just in general. So it's ca- kind of hard to tell because it's like, is this just, this is how it happens when you become successful all of right. a sudden, or is it kind of like exaggerated by the plant's powers? I don't, I don't know. I always just read it as the plan is so interesting that it's drawing people in, but it needs someone who can keep it alive during this initial stage Yeah, to just, it can use its power to 
be interesting, but it, it's not it's not doing any like mind control. It's just interesting in and of itself. It? But maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe that's why they're everyone's so because as we see in the epilogue of the original ending, everyone's crazed for these fucking things. Yeah. During a shopping spree. Who else we got before we go to the alter the endings? Bill Murray. Plural. We didn't talk about him. I know he's been outed as a raging asshole. Creep. And a creep. I don't think enough, he's not in this enough to warrant his own a problematic corner today. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, I would like to stay. Maybe just let's open the door to the problematic corner a crack. Let's get in there. Ooh, watch out now, y'all. Damon's got a problem, baby. Ooh, watch out now, y'all. Let him know about it. I don't think it's truly problematic, but it is like queer coded this this interaction between him and Steve Martin. Can you play the theme song quietly for a second? Not too loud, because I don't think it's necessarily problematic. Okay, I think you. Howard Ashman knows exactly what he's doing. He plays Arthur Denton, who is a masochist who likes. He mentions that he goes to dentists three or four times a week. Yeah. He starts listing the various dentists he goes to every other day. One of which is. A blind old woman who has to use the sound of your voice to find where your teeth are. It's a pretty funny performance. But once Steve Martin starts going into his mouth, we get a lot of moaning. And we even get a shot where we're looking down at Bill Murray on the dental chair. And Steve Martin is over him. And Bill Murray is sort of grasping at Steve Martin's shoulder in a very sexual manner. It's very charming. I thought it was funny to beat the band, but, you know, maybe someone finds it problematic. I don't fucking know. Ooh, watch out now, y'all. Damon's got a problem, baby. Ooh, watch out now, y'all. Let him know about it. And also, I didn't want to bring this up, but Google, in its algorithmic knowledge, served an article to me last night and it was an excerpt from Miriam Margulies's biography where she said that Steve Martin was terrible to work with in this scene. Really? Because she kept actually getting punched and actually getting hit by the door. Oh, no. Over and over and over again while filming her scenes. With, she plays his dental hygienist or his receptionist. Yeah. As I mentioned, I think, breathlessly during the intro. You just keep, you've sent me now, I think... Five different interview clips That's of right. her <laughs> not knowing who other celebrities are or calling their work terrible, mostly. <laughs> she seems very charming. She's a wonderful woman. She seems very charming. I would recommend, I won't go off on her, but she is one of my favorite people. Don't say go to... off on her. <laughs> She's one of my favorite people to send clips of to various friend groups. DJ, you're welcome. You are now going to be in that friend group as well. Delightful. If you want to look her up, it's Miriam Margulies, but it's not spelled like Juliana Margulies. It's spelled like Margoyles. Like gargoyles, but Margoyles. I remember that cartoon. Short-lived Disney. Oh, yeah. yeah. People love that. It was so dark. <laughs> I highly recommend her. She has no filter. If she didn't like the movie of the guest she was on Graham Norton with, she's like, oh, I thought it was a dreadful film. Yeah, <laughs> she says. Which made me laugh to beat the band, I'll tell you that. She's worth mentioning because she's in this and seems charming, but she doesn't have much to do in this, but that's... She's only yeah. mentioned because she is more famous now than she is at the time yeah. she's in this movie. It's too bad because I love his, I love Steve Martin's performances. The Bill Murray thing, I think it just makes me really uncomfortable, but it could just be the sort I, I of like... I think that's its design, like, yeah. It doesn't make me go like, oh, this is homophobic. It makes me go like, why is this here? This is weird. And mm -hmm. I think the true answer is... 
that because it was in the original and it's like an homage to the original Jack Nicholson because it was cut. I guess it was excised from the musical until they put it back in. Oh, was it? Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. It is. I feel like it does. And I already alluded to this, but I feel like it does deepen my personal hatred towards Steve Martin's character in that he really wants someone who doesn't want the pain. Like he does not want a willing participant. He doesn't like he wants someone who doesn't want. Yeah, Yeah. 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 That's fair. And and That's we fair. see that with Audrey One. She seems very like shy about the fact that he asks her if she has the handcuffs and she's like, they're in my bag. She feels very like demure and it feels like she doesn't want to do this stuff, but this is part of what he wants to do. Yeah. And she sort of goes along with whatever happens. So in the ending, the theatrical ending, what you would see if you just look it up, Audrey... If you just look it up, watch it. If you just watch it. <laughs> Sometimes I just say things. I don't know whether. <laughs> Audrey 2 starts gnawing on Audrey 1, but Seymour helps save her. She recovers. She's okay. They live happily ever after they kill the plant. But the big but, the big twist is that there's a baby plant in their, in their yard. Just kind of like the end, question mark? But there's this crazy original ending, which is, I guess, the way that I don't know how the Roger Corman film ends, but it's the way the musical ended, which is a very dark. Is the same way. Both sort of end more in this vein than the original. The theatrical ending is the outlier. Yeah. Roger Corman and the play end both with Audrey and Seymour. They had every intention of honoring that original ending. They filmed it and they basically the plant kills Audrey one and then gets massively sized, kills Seymour as well, eats him, and then grows to Godzilla size, and there's multiple plants, and they take over in this very lengthy sequence. <laughs> they destroy it. Like, yeah. I got really- this kind of kaiju sequence. Yeah, I got kind of like, this should be like half as long. I got kind of bored, where I'm like, they're not doing anything new. There was no like funny beats or anything. It was just like more destruction, and you're kind of like, yeah, I get it. But they- <laughs> That's where they spent like half of their budget, it seems like, with these plants, this enormous plants just like terrorizing. They take over the world. And that's the yeah. end. And apparently it was like <laughs> we can't release this movie. That's how bad the audience rated this ending. They were just like Really? Yeah. And they were apparently there's something about and this is just one guy talking, I can't remember which who said it, but there was like a theater critic who was like, if you go see a show and it has a dark ending that the actors come back out and bow they are like we know there's this sort of suspension of disbelief which you know when you're watching a film but you that's it those characters are gone you don't get more of them and i guess they're just like people were just i hate this like i hate this ending where the powers that be were just like we cannot go forward with this and so they reshot the whole thing that's why james belushi is in the theatrical ending it's because the original guy they had couldn't come back for the reshoots. So they cut him. The original guy who plays his character is, he's a character actor that you would recognize. Oh, Paul Dooley. He's in a lot of 80s, 90s films. A lot of Christopher Guest films, actually. Yeah, I was actually going to reference the same thing because I remember having the same revelation. Maybe I just stumbled upon the same article or theater critic that you did, which is the element of artifice in theater. Yeah. You're in a room watching people in a room pretend to be someone. There's sort of like a contract that you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all pretending and I'm going along with it. I got it. But in movies, there is, even in a fantastical movie like this, there's like an assumption of like, just buy into this. This is real. Right. And that's why if special effects are bad, you're like, 
I don't like this movie. This movie isn't as as good as it could be. And yeah, I think the element of like, even in the original stage play and Roger Corman's film, actually, you see Seymour and Audrey in buds for Audrey too. They sort of, their faces pop out and they they participate in the last song and in Roger Corman's film, The Last Shot. So there is this element of like saying goodbye to these characters. And then of course, in any other play, they come out for the curtain call and they wave and say, don't worry, I know I played Julius Caesar and I got stabbed, but see, no stab wounds. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen that same article and it really opened my eyes to like the difference between theater because it's not like people didn't know going into Little Shop of Horrors. Like it was a popular show. Like people were seeing it. That's why they made a fucking movie about it. People knew what they were getting into and the idea that they had changed it, I think it's easy to like write off focus groups, but it is interesting. I think it opens my mind to like the difference between watching a movie and watching a stage play. I think there's also like a tradition and I don't have like a lot of evidence for this, but I feel like there's a tradition in musical theater to have like sort of super dark endings. I don't know. It feels right. And maybe I'm just thinking of like specific things like this and into the woods and whatever. Like maybe it's just, maybe it's not, maybe like if you did a percentage, it would actually be the same of happy versus saddening, but it would like, no movies, we do happy endings. (laughs) And this is, you know, like a happy ending. Yeah. That feels like a fun twist. But there's like, oh, they're going to say, here we go again. Or like, <laughs> I don't know, just don't feed it blood. Oh, with seeing the little Audrey 2 in their, in their garden bed yeah. in the suburbs yeah. at the end. I am a little torn. I don't know. I mean, I grew up with the original ending from the movie. I didn't even know there was an alternate ending because I had never seen the stage play until I started reading IMDb trivia. Like any lonely tween. So I only heard rumors of it. And also, like, it was sort of almost a myth because David Geffen and Frank Oz didn't want to release the footage because they were debating whether they wanted to re-release it in theaters with the original ending. And I think I saw clips of it online in a very unfinished state. The sound was going in and out, like the background, like music was going in and out. Sometimes the shots weren't fully in color yet. They were just dailies. They weren't even finished in that regard. My Blu-ray has like the completed ending but i even then it doesn't feel as polished as it should be that being said there's a lot more panache i think in the original ending than there is in the theatrical ending it feels very much too like they it feels a little tighter it feels a little bit like there is part of me that thinks seymour gets off a little easy in the in the theatrical ending like you didn't kill two people and brought this murderous plant into a very powerful state even though you did electrocute it by the end it seems weird that he sort of oh i will i get to move to the suburbs now and ellen green also gets a fantastic reprise of somewhere that's green which is like a perfect musical theater moment in that it is beautiful, it's touching, and it's ridiculous on its face. Like, it's absolutely silly what she's doing. Because, of course, the original song is about her moving to the suburbs, getting out of the city, and this is about her sacrificing herself into a literal plant, into a literal somewhere that's green. It's so ridiculous. But sort of going back to the theater comment, it is a little kind of, I think, awkward in that almost all the characters we have grown acquainted with over the course of the movie are now dead after Seymour dies. And the entire epilogue is with nameless characters we've never seen before. And a chorus, not even the three chorus girls that we've been seeing, but like an unseen chorus singing about Don't Feed the Plants is the outro song. While there are some sort of funny, like Wile E. Coyote 
rampage the video game moments with the plant monsters. I do agree with you that it's maybe a minute or two too long. Although it is funny to see them like pulling these old people out of their beds. There's some scenes of them blowing into smokestacks and blowing out factories like by blowing the smoke back in and them eating like an L train as it's riding along the top of the city. It does sort of drag after yeah. a while. You need like two or and three. And it is awkward bits. to not have any character as your like sort of anchor in this moment that you've grown accustomed to. Going back to that theater comment of like, where's Seymour and Audrey to wave goodbye as as they well, there's no die. The stakes are already, it's gotten as bad as it's going to get. And you just like, are yeah. kind of like, okay, it's like, it's already dead. You know, like that's the thing, you know. <laughs> but it is, I mean, I think if it was tightened up, I think yeah. it would be a lot better. I mean, that shot of when Seymour pulls himself out of the rubble and Audrey too wraps their vines around him and slowly pulls him up and then spits out his broken glasses. That's like, oh, that's a really, that's pretty fun. Yeah. That's a pretty great shot. But there is part of me that it also feels like Audrey 2 gets diminished to a little bit more of a trophy role in the original ending, in that she sacrifices herself for Seymour's fame and glory, which feels a little bit like Audrey 1 does, which feels a little, I feel like it diminishes her role, which I think had been really well established. It feels like of anyone, she should survive and Seymour should die. She didn't do anything. Yeah. Honestly, in the end, I think it's a minor complaint. I think I am torn between the two, but they're both great. I think the original has some finesse that the theatrical is missing. It does seem a little unfair to compare them because it's like one is finished and the other one feels unfinished. And you never know what mm-hmm. the, what other additional editing they might have been able to do to it after the focus group if they had been like, okay, but they didn't like it, but it's survivable. Let's tighten it up, boys. <laughs> but otherwise, it's like, I like a happy ending. And so... I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. Especially when the characters are so fucking charming. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to see Seymour standing on the edge of a building thinking about throwing himself to the ground. Jesus Christ. <laughs> do you want to do a quote roundup? Yeah. She sings about, in Skid Row, Audrey One sings about eating all your lunches at the hot dog cart. And I would just want to say, Skid Row doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> I did. There's a banter between Seymour and Audrey one at the beginning when he first introduces the plant to everyone. And Mr. Mushnick says, what do you call this thing? And he goes, I call it an Audrey two. And Audrey goes after me. And he goes, I hope you don't mind. And she goes, ah! she, makes a, she makes a weird squeak. Super high squeak. It's great. Yeah. That was actually my next quote as well. All of Christopher Guest's line. I want to, I want to <laughs> rewatch it and memorize all of them, but. Well, I guess I'll just have to buy twice as many then, won't I? (laughs) I also love that they have no plants in the store. I don't know where they got the roses to give to him. There are, there's only like dead stems in this store. When the people come in and buy, this is what I'm talking about, brainwash. They, They come in and start buying them and the plants are all like dried out. And dead, which <laughs> I thought was like, it doesn't seem like a production oversight because this movie is pretty, it doesn't seem like, pretty toy. yeah, it doesn't seem like there would be that kind of mistake there, but they're like really ugly plants and flowers that they're all buying. And it's like, I think they're just deranged. <laughs> it could just be they're deranged because they're so excited about the plant or whatever. I just took it as, well, we want to show you how in dire straits this flower shop is but also then in the end we're gonna they're gonna be able to sell flowers don't worry about right. it i thought it was just like a, a conscious choice of like just suspend your disbelief here because we want to really just sell you this idea that this this flower shop is on its last legs all right 
Either way, I liked it. Or maybe it's mind control. I don't know. I don't know either. Mushnick was talking to Audrey one and he says, let me guess, you got caught up because he's like fed up with her dealing with this boyfriend. And she goes, no, mm-hmm. just handcuffed a little. <laughs> I also have a Mushnick to Audrey saying, I'm telling you, Audrey, you don't need a date with him. You need major medical, which makes me laugh. I think I referenced it earlier, yeah. but I like him. Because you think abuse is funny. That's... Yeah, I think yeah. abuse is funny, and I think I'm concerned about the health insurance <laughs> concerns of this country. What's your deductible, Audrey? One. <laughs> Speaking of thinking abuse is funny, which of course we don't. There's a line in one of the songs where she says, "I know Seymour's the greatest, but I'm dating a semi-sadist," and I want to say not a semi-sadist, but syllabically a good choice. Full sadist. (laughs) In the same vein, in the song Dentist, the chorus has a great line, which is, who wants their teeth done by the Marquis de Sade? (laughs) It's very good. (laughs) Uh, The originator of the term sadism. She also sings in Somewhere the Screen. Also, she does like her unhinged dancing in that. She just does like, she's like dusting and in the fantasy element oh, where she's so just good. floating yeah. her hands around the toaster yeah. because she dares not touch it and her dipping her finger in the chocolate frosting on the cake that just sits out on the table and then she sings you mentioned it on a big enormous 12 inch screen she sings yeah so good i cook like betty crocker and i look like donna reed yes that's yeah. the line i liked And there's plastic on our furniture to keep it neat and clean in the pine saw scented air somewhere that's green. It sounds terrible. It sounds like an absolute nightmare to me. But it's so sweet that that's all she wants. She doesn't want millions of dollars. Yeah. And she lives in an America where you could still buy a house on a florist's salary. Who says, it must be, Mushnik that says like, you love her madly, don't you schmuck? Somebody says that. (laughs) He does say that. Also, right before they start singing for Suddenly Seymour, she's sort of mourning him, and Seymour is pulling it out of her that maybe she's kind of happy he's dead, and she says, I deserve a creep like Oren Scrivello, DDS. She still calls him DDS while sobbing about his death. When Belushi comes later, and he's... They're about to do, is this the Suddenly Seymour reprise or something? He goes, yes. He comes up and goes like, if you two kids could stop singing for a moment. <laughs> I just like that. <laughs> I mentioned Mrs. Shiva's family, this big, enormous family that's dropping like flies. Yes, that's all I've got. The thing I did mention, but we talked about the little pods at the end when he's when the plant is <sighs> is big. But during Mean Green, Mother from Outer Space, the, the pods play a very big role because they're singing background vocals. And they're like... As he's being pulled in, they're, ah, oh, it's so good. They also, I mean, I want to point out, I know we've, I've gushed about the special effects multiple, over multiple minutes now, but they bloom, for lack of a better word, live on camera. Like they are little buds and then they sort of open up. They sort of almost explode and unfold on camera. It's a practical effect. And while they unfold, they're like, as they open. They also, during the bridge of the song, Rick Moranis has been thrown through the checkout counter. And there's this hole where he's like been pushed through. And they are popping in from various angles in the counter and going, hoo, ha, hoo. And it makes me laugh. Because it's just really well done. It is. They're really fantastic in that... Audrey, too, has gotten so big that she not only takes up the entire like floral shop, but she when she's on screen, she takes up most of the screen as well. So she's on screen, and then she's flanked by about eight of these little blooms that are singing back up for her. 
I can't express to you how great this movie is. (laughs) I feel like there's not like a missed step in this movie. So do you want to go to the verdict or what? I think so. (laughs) Professionalism. Oh, got out of focus. Oh, you got to get back in there. Damon, what's your verdict? I think your inner child is an idiot. Oh. I don't think that uh, domestic violence is funny, and I certainly don't think that killing the entire human race via plant monster is very funny either. Wow. End the episode. We don't even need to hear Take that, M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) No, of course. I mean, your inner child is not an idiot. This is a fantastic movie. Special effects are great. The songs are great. The set pieces are great. What else can I express is great. Performances. You know, both endings I think are great. I think I'm leaning today towards the original ending. But, you know, catch me on a Thursday. I might say the theatrical ending is better. I don't know. You're in a child's end today. This is so good. I kind of knew going into this just because I had watched it recently. But like when I rewatched it last year, I was not expecting to enjoy it this much. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And had you not seen it for I just hadn't seen it since I was a kid, which I was like more creeped out as a kid just because of the the puppetry and the monster of it all. I don't think it scared me, but it was just more like, uh, it's sucking on blood. I don't like that. You know, that kind of thing. Sure. Terrifying. I would like to, we mentioned that single scene, uh, Sally Field single scene award goes to Christopher Christopher Guest. Guest. I would like to give the- Mr. Jamie Lee Curtis. I would like to nominate for the Catherine O'Hara Memorial MVP award. Mm Mm-hmm. Ms. Ellen Green. Oh, yeah. Because I think maybe that's maybe that's a duh for people who have seen this more recently, but it was unexpected to me. I guess I didn't I never appreciated how great she is until this moment. She's fantastic. To the level she's absolutely that she is. great. Yeah. Great singing, great acting. She's funny. She gets like because I don't think she would be billed as the most comic relief in this movie because you've got Rick Moranis and you've got Steve Martin and you've got Bill Murray in there and you've got the plant, you know, like all this stuff. Like, I don't know why I listed Bill Murray so high. He's only in it for one scene, but uh, he's, you got James Belushi. Of yeah. course, you got Miriam Margulies and James Belushi. He's, he's a stitch. Everybody knows that. According to you've Jim. got, of course, Paul Dooley in the, in the original yeah. ending. So, I mean, you got a, an all-star cast. But I think she's, she's incredible in this. She's great. And the movie's great. I like it. And I don't know why I'm filling time. What do you think, everybody? Email us. Your inner child's an idiot at gmail.com. You can text us or leave us a voicemail. 615-576-0525. Do you got the pages? I do have the pages. We want to thank our patrons for helping us make the show. Thank you so much to Just Cuz. Lindsay Halleck. Scalphosaurus. Beth Sermont. Dr. Uh, Malcolm's uh, Plant mm. from Outer Space. The supreme ruler of this podcast. Bill Haynes. The Hands of Fate. Josh Frigo. Jonathan Day. Karen Curd. James Taylor. Zachary Hartley. The McWillie House of Cats. David Mort. Larissa Maestro. Travis Vance. Jeremy Powlin. Lindsay Nell. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Shit on the cartouche. Caroline Amberson. His Honor the Mayor. Heather Tuggle. The elusive fan Gromkin. Dramatically placed hot dog from outer space. Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with Damon. I don't know why I stumbled over that. 
Tommy Boy is Damon's favorite movie. Particle Man. T.E. Smith. And the Zesty. Thank you all very, very much. If Thank you want to support you. like them, patreon.com slash your child is an idiot. Maybe we'll watch the cartoon for our patrons. I don't know. Wait, the Saturday morning cartoon? Why not? Isn't that so weird? I remember seeing it yeah. as a kid and being like, is this what? I mean, there's a talking plant. It's called Little Shop. Do they know what they're doing or do only <laughs> I know what they're doing? <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. But just a mean cream on the space and I'm back. Hold on. I can find those lyrics that are cut out, which I, I oh, yeah. enjoy. Mean. Thank you. This is some bonus Googling for you all. Thank you. This is during a bridge. There's a double bridge in this song. Is that a term that people use? Don't talk to me about old King Kong. You think he's the worst? Well, you're thinking wrong. Don't talk to me about Frankenstein. He got a temper? Ha! He ain't got mine. Then double bridge. You know, I don't come from no black lagoon. I'm from past the stars and beyond the moon. You can keep the thing, keep the it, keep the creature. They don't mean shit. I think that bridge remains in the film. That's in the movie, yeah. I remember him singing something, something, black lagoon. He also has an alternate version in the original lyrics. It's, I've got style, major moves. I got the stuff, and I think that proves you better move it out. Nature calls. You got the point. I'm going to bust your balls. But in this, in the movie version, it's all plant stuff. He's like, I've got... Killer fronds, major stems, and I'm using them. Something weird. I was trying to catch it all in while watching, but for some reason they changed it to more gardening. <laughs> they were like, we, I, I had all these gardening terms we could use that we never used in any other song. Get them in right at the end. Just <laughs> put them all this in there. Song, just cram them into the last verse. All right, bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Uh,